I didn't get a chance to introduce myself to you guys, but right now, something you may not know, we're a uh, multi-site church. Right now, we're actually preaching as well to our Plymouth location and to our Milton location. So if I haven't gotten to meet any of you guys yet, uh, my name is Jeremy Arsenault. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration Church. And our lead pastor, that was the guy doing amazing job, doing an amazing job doing the announcement video. Um, and that was his son, Asher, barging in while we were filming, probably on the best announcement we could have planned for, Kid Takeover. Um, We're in a series right now. I've already shared that a little bit. We're in a series called Deeper. And what we like to do at Restoration Church is we take kind of a topic and we'll break it down throughout a couple weeks. Deeper, that's a topic that we probably don't talk a lot about here at Restoration Church. We kind of stray away from the word in general, all right? Because Deeper is something that people will say to sound a little bit more spiritual. If they're hearing something that is basic information, and let me tell you, basic information about Jesus is the best information you can learn. Some basic information that they know already, what they'll end up doing is say, man, I just wish this church would get deeper. I just wish they would get a little deeper into the scriptures and, and, and teach something I don't know. Which maybe uh, we can talk through a little bit why I think people go through this cycle. So let's think about it real quick. You, you're, you're a new believer in Jesus. You come to church on a Sunday morning and you hear something new. You hear the good news for the first time. You hear that Jesus is real. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. And you're closer to God because of what Jesus has done. This new information causes an emotional reaction for you because this is, this is life-altering news that's coming through. And, and so you're, you're going to want to pursue it. You're going to want to go towards it because this new information is coming at you. It's real. It's powerful. It's, it's amazing. The only problem with this, and, and really there's no problem with you accepting Jesus, but the only idea of what happens in our brains when this goes on is... If we, we start to think through, if we don't have an emotional high from the information that we are receiving, we must not be growing further and closer into God. And kind of two things can happen if that's the case. Uh, one, we, we never pursue anything that is deeper as far as what Jesus is calling us into. We're really just pursuing the next emotional high. We're just looking for a piece of information that really grips us and grabs us. And when that starts to happen, we start to question our walk in general because, man, I'm not getting, not in the, getting the feel goods anymore. What's going on? I must, I must be disconnected with God or maybe God isn't as real as I thought. And something else that might tend to happen if we always lean into the emotional aspect, we lean into something like that is then we start to value new experiences over Jesus as well. Maybe you're, you're just, man, I just got to find the right worship song to reconnect me to Jesus. Man, I need a new revelation from the Bible to connect me to Jesus. I think maybe even I need a new church to connect me closer to Jesus. And you start thinking through these things, and what you're looking for is an emotional experience over what, what Jesus 
has. And, and when you have something that's kind of like a novelty, it releases dopamine to your brain. And so you just want to keep looking for something new and something exciting. What we're going to talk about today deeper, the topic that we're going to get into is a deeper walk with Jesus. Something we, we never want to do is, is value a deeper theology over a deeper walk, a deeper understanding of the original language of the Bible over a deeper commitment to do what the Bible is actually calling us to do. We, we want a deeper walk. Any of these results that's based off of something pursuing new knowledge or pursuing new experiences, that leads to a really shallow walk. And so today, I want us to talk through how do we have a deeper walk with Jesus? Because that's, that's what's important here. So I'm going to share some scripture that I, that I hope would trigger an emotional reaction out of you when you listen to it, when you believe it, when you hear it for exactly what it's saying. This should trigger something. But let me tell you what, what needs to happen to give you a deeper walk it's a combination, all right? It's a combination of emotion, knowledge, and action, all right? So we're going to read through this. I want you to really think about it. I want it to hit you. I want you to think through what this scripture is really saying. And I want you, you know, maybe a little bit, I want you to be scared of it so we can look at the action that we need to take to work through what this scripture is teaching us. Now, this is Jesus talking. This is Matthew 7. Verse 21 is where we're starting. It says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Think through what that scripture is saying. Did you know, did you know there's a way to call upon the name of Jesus and not enter the kingdom of heaven? Did you know there's a wrong way that you can call out to Jesus? And how many of us can sit in our chairs, raise our hands, say, I am 100% doing it the correct way. I'm 100% doing it. I would even be scared to raise my hand for that. But what I wanted to do, instead of trying to get a bunch of motivational scripture to walk through it, I thought, let's take this one scripture. Let's, let's park on it. Let's just park right here and talk through everything that he's introducing to his disciples, that he's introducing to us, so we can get a greater understanding of what this scripture means and understand what he's trying to do. This scripture is not telling us only a certain amount of people will make it into heaven. This scripture is not telling us, uh, no, you have to know a secret knowledge. You need to know something specific to enter the kingdom. So you can, you can say you worship Jesus, but man, if you don't pronounce Jesus right, you're done. You're not getting in. If you stutter the first time you say Jesus, you can't get into heaven. It's not saying anything like that. But I wanted to break through, like, what questions, you know, and this is something we should learn to do when we're reading our Bible. Let's stop. Let's not just skip through this scripture. Maybe we've heard it before, but let's stop and think, what's, what's, what's standing out to me about this scripture? And to me, 
it, is, it leaves us to ask three different questions as far as what the scripture is bringing up. One, what is the kingdom of God? Two, how should we do things in his name? And then the last thing that he says, get away from me, you who break God's laws. What are God's laws? How do I stop breaking them so I can make sure that I get into the kingdom? So let me read something real quick. Let's ask this first question. What is the kingdom of God? Let me read this so I don't mess it up, all right? It took a long time to figure out how to write it. According to the New Testament, the kingdom of God is something that you seek before all things. It's something you can enter or go into, and it can even be taken away. Jesus says it is at hand or has come near. He also describes it as a secret that must be given to us by God. It's something that you can belong. It's something that you can receive. It's something that is within you. And yet it's also the kingdom where Abraham, Isaac, Jacob's, Jacob, and all the prophets and countless people all over the world will live. Well, that's pretty simple, right? We got it down. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. No, what Jesus is doing when he comes, and, and it's something we have to realize in scriptures, Jesus doesn't appear on earth and start saying, the kingdom is almost here. The kingdom is, is just a mile down the road. The kingdom is here as soon as you die, right? He's not saying those things. What is he saying when he starts proclaiming the gospel? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. So we have to understand something. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom with him. He brought the kingdom with him. So let's think through this belief system that some people think that Christians have of I'm good and I go to heaven or I'm bad and I burn in hell. That's not the gospel that Jesus is presenting to us. When we talk about the kingdom, there's something much greater that Jesus is talking about. Simply put, if you believe in Jesus and put God as king over all creation, now you are a part of the kingdom. You are in the kingdom. If you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you say, God, you are king and creator over everything, now you're a part of it. And the kingdom of God, when Jesus talks through the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is a place where all of creation acknowledges that God is king over all of creation. And so when we share our faith, and I love this type of, of imagery, we're in the kingdom, we're a part of the kingdom, we are the building blocks of the kingdom. And all of a sudden, some of you, I think, when we talk about kingdom builders, you're like, I get it. I get it now. I get why that name. We're in the kingdom, and when we share the gospel, when we share that, hey, Jesus is Lord, uh, God is the creator and king of the universe... What we're doing when someone accepts that is we've laid another brick down at the foundation of the kingdom of God. And we are building brick by brick the kingdom of God. We are building that kingdom and we are a part of it as well. So the kingdom isn't something that we look forward to when we die. It's something we're in right now. And all of a sudden now you can think through that scripture. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. And now we have a little bit more understanding of what he could be meaning. 
And we also believe that at the return of Jesus, the whole, the whole earth will start to begin to acknowledge his, his leadership over all creation. And with Jesus here and being the, the victorious savior coming and, and pronouncing that he owns it all, then... And then we know all of creation will be acknowledging him. And that's what Jesus means when he taught through the scripture prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, where God is his dwelling place, where that's like his home base, wherever you want to call it, that is a place that already every single corner of heaven acknowledges that Jesus is Lord and Savior and, and the king and creator of it all. And now we're our prayers to hopefully build the kingdom here on earth so we see the same thing. All right, does that make sense? That's what the kingdom is. And then let's think through this next part. How do we call out in his name correctly? How do we call out in his name correctly? I think to, to look at this, we can look at some other scripture in, in Acts. This is right after Jesus died and, and when he was rose from the grave. And the disciples, they started having the same commanding spirit that Jesus had through the Holy Spirit that they were able to perform miracles through Jesus' name. They had this connection to God, which is something we have today as well. This connection to God to command spirits to leave people's bodies to, to uh, evil spirits, not your spirit, um, to command evil spirits to leave people, to leave people alone. We can, we can pray for miracles in Jesus' name. And, and through us, we believe those miracles really do happen. And, and so this is the beginning of that happening in Acts. And so these Jews, they try and cast out some demons. They're like, oh, I get it. This is working. When someone goes into someone who is demon-possessed, they say the name of Jesus, and now the demon has to leave. So some Jews think, perfect. This is the word. This is the magic word that has to get demons to leave. I just show up and I talk about Jesus. There were a lot of rituals back in the day that different that Jews would have to do to be close to God. So they just thought, this makes sense. This is the process. So they go in to this demon-possessed man and say, in the name of Jesus, who Paul talks about, get out. To which the, the demon turns and replies, oh, Jesus, I know. Paul... I've heard about, but who are you? And then the demon proceeds to, to beat the tar out of these men, and they come out running and screaming because it didn't work. Why didn't it work? It didn't work because they were calling on the name of Jesus only to give them power. They were calling on the name of Jesus because they thought this was the magic word that will work. And I think maybe not to this extreme, all right, America uh, is, is very interesting in the way it functions. If you go on a missions trip, if you go to Africa, Pastor John, you could talk about it going into Africa a lot. You see things differently in other countries. You see how the enemy works a little differently in other countries. And so we don't see it quite as much here. We don't see demon possession just walking down the street all the time. I still see it, but it's not quite the same. But I think this happens in different ways. People calling out to Jesus, not for the right reasons, to give them power. It could look something like this. Um, this, is things that, these, this is things that I've seen Christians do, all right? I'm not keeping like a, like a, um, a, a 
made up list of things. I've seen this. I've heard people talk like this. Um, so um, these are things that people can believe to call upon the name of Jesus. Being a Christian makes me better than others. Being a Christian makes me better than others. Knowing my Bible well makes me smarter than others. Worshiping Jesus means he loves me more than you. Tithing means I really have my crap together. (laughs) Praying means I have a secret connection to God that you can never have. Showing people how well I pray in public proves that. And then following his law, his Old Testament law to a T, means look how disciplined I am. I don't even need Jesus. He's he's for sinners like you. I follow the law. Um, That part's not written about me. These are things that that Christians do, that people who call upon the name of Jesus do and believe. And let me tell you, they're calling on his name wrong. They're calling on his name wrong. If your motive for tithing is so people can see you tithe and hoping maybe 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 the church will post a picture of this check just to to show off how well my giving is. Um, God doesn't want you to give. He doesn't want you to give at all. Jesus does not want you to give if that's your motive. If you want to be on the prayer team, because the prayer team's here, and that means they're more spiritually developed than than everyone else, uh, those prayers aren't really going to work out. Because you're not praying to Jesus. You're using his name to give you power. You're using his name to give you power, which is exactly what these people were doing in Acts. So how do we call on his name wrong? If calling on his name gets you farther in life, or as you think it gets you farther in life, you're doing it wrong. If it gets you farther on this earth, you're doing it wrong. What should it do? It should get you closer to God. Closer to God. It should not earn you any more respect within the church. It should not earn you any sort of greater authority within the church. It just gets you closer to God. And that's the entire reason Jesus was here. So that's how we call on his name. And the last thing that he mentions in the scripture that I think is important for us to go through is what is God's law? He says, get away from me, those who break God's law. And I'm sure some people could read that and come to the conclusions that, and come to the conclusion that, oh, I need to reread the Old Testament and I need to do every single law as well as following Jesus. I need to reread everything. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that teach these different things that you need to do that. But let me talk through what the law is. Even in the Old Testament, which Jesus, Jesus fulfilled that law, all right? He got us close to him. But that does not mean the law is not important. Because when we look through the law, let's think about what it really is for. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts that we're supposed to do. If we do it, um, we're breaking God's law. We're awful people. If we don't do the law, then if we don't break the law, then we're good. What the law is, and this is the beginning journey for God's people, what the law is when he's laying it out to the Israelites, and even later in the New Testament when he's talking through the law, when Jesus really heightens the law in his sermons, The law reveals God's heart to us. Every single law, even even the crazy ones, all right? You read through the Old Testament, there are some crazy laws in there that don't fully make sense if you take them at at face value. But every single law reveals God's heart to us. 
So you think through, let's talk about the crazy ones real quick. Let's just get them out of the way because I'm sure some of you are thinking through the ones that are, are nuts and be like, okay, I, get, I understand God's heart for me, I suppose. Don't touch pig skin. Don't get tattoos. Don't eat unclean food. Let's talk about those laws, the crazy ones. You read and you're just like, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. The heart behind this, this is a little bit of a history lesson. Sorry, but this is how it's going to go. It's the only way I can talk about it, so it's just, I'm not a motivational speaker. I want you to learn something. When you look through these laws that are forming, the Israelites, who are God's people, they lived in an area with different people. There are more people. God's just not talking to every single person that exists. He's talking to his people who lived in places with other people who worshiped false gods. How did they worship false gods? Maybe they tattooed their body to signify who, which God they worship. Maybe they sacrificed unclean animals and had giant feasts to celebrate whatever false God they had. And that's not maybe, that's, that's historically proven. That is what those people did. And so when God reveals these laws to him, he's saying, look around you. Do not look like these people because you serve a real God. They worship a false God. So you look through these scriptures that are just like, I don't get it. This one would kind of make me look like a weirdo. That's, that's almost the point. You want to look different than the people surrounding you. So when God's revealing that, what's, what's revealed about his heart through this law is, I want you to look different than everyone else because you have me. I want you to look different than everyone surrounding you because you have me. I want them to be able to just look at you and see who you are and say, oh, they're called to something greater. And so God's laying that out. So, so every law, you read through the Old Testament and you investigate why that law exists, you're going to learn something about his heart. So to say in this scripture, you who break God's law, what he's talking through is you don't know God's heart. You go against everything that God's heart is. That's how you're never going to be a part of the kingdom of God. You break his law every day. So let's think through these things. And remember this, and the band can come up. God's law helps us to not just know him, but to walk with him. All right? So a deep understanding of the law is not going to get us a, a, greater, a greater walk. Now we need to work through, all right, what's the heart behind it? And let's put action to it. All right? Does that make sense? There's a lot. There's a lot of different things. I wanted to talk through just a couple of the laws that I feel are important for our church. And there's, there's a lot more that I'd love to get into, love to talk through. But right now, I want to talk through a couple of these things. The first one, and I'm going to kind of word them in my own way for you. The first one would be the law of attendance. And this one, this one we get in the New Testament, Hebrews um, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good work. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Why do I think this is important? And I think this is a law. I think this is something that God wanted. Because even after Jesus came, you read through Acts, they still met in each other's homes. They still took the time 
to gather together in the, in the sanctuary and to worship God. I don't think that was ever, that rhythm was ever meant to be broken. But this is why I think it's important. A Barna group study shows that 71% of Christians in the U.S. do not find weekly attendance in church important, despite it being a New Testament scripture commanding us to do so. 71% of people who would say they belong to a church, they don't find attending weekly important. So you may have friends who attend church that are even like, hey, I know you missed the past couple of weeks, but I got a sweet discount on a hotel. We can go out, we can have some fun, and it'll be a great time. It's fine. We still believe in Jesus. We can miss it. But then we look through this scripture and what God's telling us and the heart behind it. What is the heart behind it? It's not to make your attendance mandatory. We're not keeping check marks and everyone gets a gold star who makes, who makes their, their 52 week streak. It's not anything like that. The heart behind it. Read this scripture again. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. What are we supposed to be doing? Building brick by brick the kingdom of God, sharing his good news. Let me tell you, that is back-breaking work. That's, that's tiring work. So what happens here and what happens during circles we're built up and we're ready to go and do that work in our workplace, with our families, with our friends. We need this. We need this. And I think you need circles as much as you do the Sunday morning. Sunday morning provides you a great chance to invite your friends, to get them to see what a gathering of believers is like. A circle is where you can ask questions, you can dive into things that you couldn't dive into on a Sunday morning. And I think that's important. It's not about something mandatory. What's the heart behind that law? It's to build each other up. Let's talk through this second law as well. The law of trusting God. This is from Leviticus. You can find talking through the tithe and what that really meant. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Did God just want them to, to waste 10%? Did God just want them to feel a little more desperate? No. God wanted them to prove that they trusted him. That they trust him. What's the heart behind it? He wants you to trust him. So if you're a farmer and you're gathering all of these things and they need to last you through the season... The mentality is going to be, I need to get as much as I can. I need to hoard it all away. I need to strategically spend it because this is how it's going to be. That's not the heart behind what God is asking us to do to say, no, no, make it harder. Make it harder for yourself. It's to say, your works aren't going to save you. They're not going to supply everything for you. Show me, prove to me, prove to me. Give me 10%. And I will make that 90% last more than the 100 ever could. That's what God is calling us to do. So let's talk through tithing a little bit. Another group, another study, a Barna study showed that only 5% of Christians tithe. And let me start by this because I'm about to reread that sentence. 
I'm not picking on you if you don't tithe. I'm really not. Again, even like what I said earlier, if you're going to tithe because I just guilted you, don't, don't tithe today. Don't do that. Don't ever tithe out of guilt because we want to learn the heart behind this and understand the heart behind what he's talking through. Only 5% of Christians tithe. Let me reword it using the heart behind tithe. Only 5% of Christians trust God with their finances. 5% of Christians in America trust God with their finances. To know the, the heart of why we should give, thinking through this even more, talking through, you know, we, we don't, we don't have a lot of trust for people in this day and age. So I wanted to talk through, like, if we learn the heart behind this, what, uh, that gives us tremendous freedom, all right? Because what we need to know is the heart behind it is what matters, not the amount we're giving, never the amount. If you make $10 a week and you give $1 and you give it joyfully, that is, that is the heart that you want. That's better than someone who makes $50,000 a year and gives $1 every week because the heart is what matters. What else matters? If you're giving to a church and they have to shut down because they did something wrong with their money, your heart was in the right place. Your heart was in the right place. If you gave to a church that you thought was a church that actually preached Jesus and they turned out to be a cult that didn't, your heart was in the right place. If you tithe to a church and the money doesn't go where you think it should go, first off, that's not giving money back to God that's still trying to control it. But if the money does not go where you think it should go, guess what? Your heart is still in the right place. It's not about funding the church. It's not about funding the church at all. It's about trusting God with what he's given you. And that's a law that, that does continue to this day. And the last law is this, the law of loving others. This part of the statistic broke my heart, absolutely broke my heart. In Mark 16, verse 15, he said, and he told them, go into the world and preach the good news to everyone. So how do you truly love someone? You tell them about Jesus, right? So a Barna study showed America, Americans relate to Christianity, and there were three groups of people, practicing Christians, non-practicing Christians, and non-Christians. The percentage of Americans that say that they were non-practicing Christians was 45%. 45% out of everyone that they asked said, I'm a Christian, but I don't do the Christian thing. So let's think through this again. 45% of Christians said, I won't love others. I won't tell them about the gospel. I tell you, they're calling upon the name of Jesus wrong. Wrong. That is what we're supposed to do. We love people. We care for people. That's not an option. If you want deeper knowledge, you have more theology in this sermon to last you a lifetime before you could ever learn anything else. And you think through this as well. You think through how dare we try and get a deeper knowledge when there are people right across the street who have never once heard about Jesus. And we're here like, tell me something new tell me something I don't know. And there are people who have never heard the gospel, who have never had this chance. How dare we want this information that's new and different? We are called to love 
people and to care for people. And we have to do that. We have to do that. So stop pursuing an emotional high. Stop pursuing a church that sings your kind of worship music. Stop pursuing a church that puts their money where you think it should go. And just start loving people and serving Jesus and let yourself be built up here so you can go and preach the gospel. Following Jesus is not something you can live near. It's not something you can be next to or on top of. We have to live in it. In it. Call upon his name. Follow the heart behind the laws and build his kingdom. Let's stand to our feet. Let's worship him. I'm going to pray and then we'll do that. Jesus, we give this all to you, God. Would you build us up here this morning together? Would you help us to call upon your name just for your love, just for your relationship, God? Would you, like the scripture said, continue to write this law on our hearts to understand what it is that you're calling us to? And God, may we always call upon your name so that others would know you and not so that people would know us. We love you. We worship you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's worship together.